I have a close personal friend who's a doctor who grew up in Charleston and he lives just below Charleston. I think it's Johns Island or Wadmalaw Island, but it's one of those islands down south of Charleston, about 15 miles in. So I called him up the other day and uh, I said, what, what, you leaving or what are you going to do? He said, oh, no, we're going to stay in a hospital. I've got an office in the hospital, so we'll stay up there. So after the uh, hurricane came through, I called back, <laughs> asked him how he did, and he said, well, they had to go to a shelter, but his wife had taken an Ambien and put earphones on and had locked him out of the shelter. And... Uh, so he stayed outside through the whole hurricane all night. <laughs> so it must not have been all that bad. I mean, no, nah, we, we do. We pray for those people who've been caught, you know, particularly Haiti. What a terrible, terrible thing for that nation. But um, anyway, God is good. And you need to know that when you go through things. That's. That's why we have the gospel. That's why we have the good news is uh, I don't believe he brings storms. I don't believe, I think God gets a lot of bad press. You know, ever since Adam fell, uh, mankind's really pretty responsible for the mess we're in. Um, but it's so important to God that we make a choice to care about him and love him that he's allowed a lot of this to go on. It's just very interesting when you see it that way, but... Uh, we do warfare against all these things by faith, by what we believe, by what we know God to be like. Um, thinking this morning about, uh, earlier this morning, about what to do today, one of my prime objectives is to, um, is to help people more than building a big church or more than any of that, my primary goal in life is to help people know the Lord. Not, not just know the Bible, although that's part of it. Not just come to church, although that's part of it. Not just be a part of a community, although that's part of it. And all those things are key parts. But the thing that motivates me and has for years is the degree that I've known the Lord. And the different events, the different, um, I call them God stories. I've got a, I've got a notebook over there I was looking at this morning. I've got like 30 what I call God stories. And what I mean by that is they're stories of my relationship with God. See, I've got more than Bible stories, ladies and gentlemen. I have personal experience. And, um, you know, you, you can't really mess with a person that's got legit personal experiences. You can't talk him out of who he knows God to be, no matter how shrewd or sharp or theologically sound you may be. And so I'm looking at, and we have been for a couple of weeks, I've called it, uh, Abby, you can go ahead and put this up, the supernatural ways of God. This is part three, and I'm calling this the God who intervenes. And... Um, I told Donna this morning, I said, you know, I'm probably going to say a lot this week that I said last week. Let me ask, how many people, and just be honest and brave, how many of you were not here last week? Raise your hand. See, honey, look at all those people that need to hear this. Now, how many of you weren't paying that good of attention and you were here last week? See, that's the rest of you. So, anyway, I'm stuck on this uh, first chapter of Luke. It's sort of a launching pad. And so if um, if 
you'll go ahead and put up that uh, that first slide there. Is it up there? Luke 1, this is actually 5 through 9. We're going to read two different slides. Why don't, why don't you stand up? Let's read this together. Let's read it out loud. There is something that happens when we read the Word of God. There's something that happens when we believe the Word of God. And there's even more that happens when we see it, read it, and believe it. And remember, we're talking about the God who intervenes. The God who will jump into your life. So here we go. Verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. The order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. Is and up there? And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And once again, let's read that 13th verse. Because this is what happens when God intervenes in your life. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Okay, that's great. Why don't you have a seat? What struck me over the last several weeks is how God will manipulate us into places of importance and destiny when we're not even aware he is at work. And when I say manipulate, that that has bad connotations of people making you do something you don't want to do. And I'm not really talking about that, but I'm talking about how God will get you to certain places in certain seasons and you're sort of unconscious that he's really at work. Um, I, don't, I don't believe in the, the kind of sovereignty that means God is happy with everything that goes on and he's responsible for bad things that happen in the world. I don't believe in that at all. But I do believe there is an aspect of God where he will jump into your life at times and manipulate it or cause things to work in a way that pushes you forward and propels you into your destiny and your calling. Now, one of the things you have to realize is that doesn't alleviate us from seeking him. It doesn't alleviate us from uh, being dedicated or to intentionally going after him and doing his will. But there really are times that God will just show us how willing he is to arrange circumstances to keep us from missing different plans he has for his life. We see this really in the life of Zacharias and Elizabeth. 
Um, some of you may be familiar with, the, uh, I think actually, Shelly, you read from the Passion Translation this morning. Um, Brian Simmons has um, got a new translation. Of, actually, he's doing the whole Bible, but he's done a lot of the New Testament already. And in the Passion Translation, he actually understands the language to mean when the angel said, your prayer is heard, he was making reference to a prayer Zacharias had no longer prayed. See, one of the saddest things I think in life is when people give up on their dreams. You know, you, can't, you just can't give up on your dream. You, you, you need to know, even if you can't fulfill it, doesn't mean God won't. And we need, we need to understand the Lord that way. We need to invite him into our impossibilities. We can't, we can't um, honestly, this whole place, if somebody would have told me the, the nine um, construction crises and the $300,000 it would have taken to come do this, I might have thought uh, no, we shouldn't do it. But he intervened at critical crossroads to get in here. I mean, you, I can't even imagine um, the goodness and the kindness of the owner of this property. I mean, half of this room is sitting in his warehouse as of six months ago. He literally took down shelving in his warehouse. They still work over there and allowed us to, to, to build this room in here. He completely rearranged his entire operation back there to allow us to be a church in here. I couldn't even hardly a guy would I couldn't even hardly believe a guy a guy would do something like that. And then we had issue after issue after issue we had to overcome. Um, I think about uh, I think about Mark Brittner. If Mark Brittner hadn't hadn't been here, we couldn't have done this. Mark's uh, general contractor basically volunteered his time. There would have been honestly situation after situation where I said I'm done. I can't. I can't figure this out. I don't know enough about it. I'm not. I'm not a contractor. I thought, well, what's the big deal? You fix one bathroom, you put an air conditioning unit in, you build a wall. No problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fools rush in where angels fear to tread. Let me just say that. But a fool with faith will still get something done. So uh, anyway, watch and learn. Now. The thing I see and think about over and over and over when I read this story and others in the Bible is how God will allow us to be at the right place at the right time in the right circumstance for our lives to work. Say that with me. Right place, right time, right circumstance. And that's all because we know the right person. We know the God of the circumstances. We know the God that can get in anywhere and take care of anything. But when you look at Zacharias, okay, you're talking about his right place, right time, right circumstances. He was one of 20,000 priests who were eligible to be at the altar of incense that one time. It was a a once-in-a-lifetime ministry opportunity for him. Uh, When his name came up, he wasn't at at uh, at the altar He wasn't at the laver. He wasn't at the washstand. Those of you may know about all the furniture that they they used in the the tabernacle. But no, he was selected for the only time he was going to be in there. He was selected to be at the altar 
of incense. Um, He happened to have a lifelong unanswered prayer he had given up on. When he was at the altar of incense, there was this thing called the time of prayer, which was 3 p.m., where the whole nation basically stopped and prayed. So the Bible tells us that the whole multitude of the nation was praying, and that's when the angel appears to him, telling him his prayer is heard. Now, I believe in angels. Let me say that differently so it makes more sense. I believe in angels. I believe everybody has one, whether you know it or not. You can prove that from the New Testament. I believe they're ministers of the heirs of salvation, according to the book of Hebrews. I believe this angel showed up because it was time for a new season. Are you guys in a new season? Anybody up in here in a new season? When it's time for a new season, there'll be a new level of angelic activity that will release faith and presence. That may not make sense. Faith and presence for the next thing the Lord wants to do. Why would I believe in angels? I would believe in angels because some of them woke me up five years ago and authorized us to find buildings and properties for Queen City Church. What do you mean authorized? I mean sat me down and told me 12 key things they were authorizing me to do in a new season. I'm just telling you. Now, does that happen to me all the time? No. It happened to me that time because I believe in angels. I believe in the supernatural. I am going to say this. I could not imagine just going to a church that doesn't believe in the supernatural. You've got some kind of a supernatural history and some kind of a supernatural future, but you've got no supernatural present. See, a lot of people don't realize that's what they believe in. They believe in the Bible and what God used to do, and they believe in the millennium when God's going to do something. But they have trouble believing God will do something right now. And much of that is connected. Much of the activity of God in your life is connected to how much you believe he cares about you. There's something that happens when you're convinced about the love of God that seems to open door after door after door of opportunity and circumstance and situation that makes such a difference in your life. But Zechariah had given up. He'd given up on that prayer. How many of you have prayers you've given up on? Let's see those hands again. You have prayers you've given up on. Stick them up way high. Stick them up. Say, I am like Zechariah. Here's what the angel says. Your prayer is alive in heaven. Somebody tweeted me and said, um, prayers have no shelf life. Well, actually, that means they don't have any, they don't last. But prayers have a long shelf life. Prayers have a shelf life that lasts from the time you prayed them till the season God's going to answer them. And we find out here, you know, there's a lot of people that put so much pressure on us to do everything right, to have a life worth living in the spirit. Do you know what I'm saying? But I'm going to tell you something. I I believe we're in a season where you can stumble and trip and fall blindly into the purpose of God and everything will turn out just right. Who's up for that? 
I, listen, I tell you, I can't do everything right. I don't even know how to do everything right. I've read the Bible for 45 years and I still can't figure out how to do this all right. I can't always be nice to my wife. Mostly. I can't always want to pay my taxes. Mostly. Do you know what I'm saying? I have issues. Anybody, are there people here? Anybody have issues? Do you have to get rid of your issues for God to do something in your life? No. No, that's the law. He has to do something in your life so you can deal with your issues. That's what he wants to do. He wants to break in on us in a brand new way, in a brand new season. Your prayers are alive in heaven. You may have given up on them. God hasn't given up on them. I talk about Dristan, and I see people don't know what I'm talking about. Dristan were these tiny headache capsules that had time-release medicine. And, and some of them helped you in two hours, and some of them helped you in four hours. And some of those little particles in that one pill helped you in six hours. And that's what many prayers are like. God won't release them before their time. You should be grateful God has not given you everything you asked for when you asked for it, because you couldn't handle it, and you would blow it, and that day would be over. I'm the guy that believes the best days of my life are in front of me. I'm the guy that says, Lord, don't give me anything I don't need until the time is right. Except for maybe one or two things. <laughs> you can't preach and not tell the truth. Come on. Some of your most heartfelt, important prayers may only be answered when the time is right. Can you trust God with the times and the seasons? I've talked to people that are in their 30s and are not married yet. And they go, oh, I need to get married. And I'll say, well, what happened to your college friends? They say, well, they've been married twice. I'm sorry if you've been married twice. I'm not putting anybody down. But what I'm saying is there's virtue in waiting on God. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not criticizing. Don't misunderstand me. But... If your prayers haven't been answered yet, you should be thankful. Do you know what I'm saying? If these things are time-oriented, the time needs to be right. I've waited until I was 65 years old to have this church. I'm thinking at 59 when I started it, I'm too old to do this all over again, Lord. Are you really serious about this? And he was saying, yes, if you don't do it, I'll go get somebody else. I said, oh, if it's, if it's good enough for somebody else to have, I think I'll take it. <laughs> and I've learned, too, anything God asks you to do, he has your best interest at heart, even when it doesn't look like it. It's always built into the will of God. God is that big, even when it looks like it's going to hurt you, even when it looks like it's too painful or take too long or be too hard, your best interest is at heart when he tells you what it is you're supposed to do because he is that good. He has that built into every single obedience, but he hides it because he wants you to exercise faith because without faith it's impossible to please God. That was good. Was that good? Okay, all right. Spurgeon says tears are liquid prayers. I can remember years ago when that laughter thing broke out. And uh, I was all for it. I'm still all for it. I think being drunk in the Holy Ghost is underrated, quite honestly. 
I believe it was the key to the apostles' success if you look at Acts chapter 2. But when that happened, when, when that level of joy came, and it was embarrassing and humiliating and people overdid it and all sort of problems came with it, but welcome, welcome to our world, I jumped in lock, stock, and keyhole. And I'll tell you why. I can remember the morning I sat in my easy chair brokenhearted over how my life hadn't worked the way I wanted it to work out. And I cried so hard. Have you ever cried so hard you can't make any noise? Yeah, I cried so hard. And it's strange, and I know this is weird maybe, but it's just what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. When I would inhale, I would hear the devil laughing at me. I would hear him laughing at me. Because there I was. I was in a mess. I couldn't find my way through. I had a call on my life. I had promises from God. I couldn't make them work out. Whenever I tried, it seemed to fall apart. So when that laughter started, I jumped in with both feet. I thought I had been laughed at by the prince of darkness. I'm laughing. I'm laughing now. Because I'm sitting with the one who's overcome Every obstacle. My best friend says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And he just so happens to be the king of the universe. So what can, what can, what can man do to me? What can the enemy's laughter do? To, the only person can mess my life up is me. And even when I do, my God has a way of fixing it. That's a pretty good outlook. That's the way it is. That really is. Liquid tears. He says in Psalm 56, 8, you number my wanderings, put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? What kind of a God would bottle up your tears of brokenheartedness and make notes about what happened in a book? The only kind of God that does that is a God who cares so deeply and profoundly about us. That he wants to keep a record of every single heartache so he can make every single heartache right. He keeps good records. There's not one thing you've suffered God's not aware of. There's not one problem you've been through God doesn't have a heart to help you with. That's who he is. That's how good he is. I really like that. Now, here's the one of the things I've thought about Zacharias. Zechariah means heard of God, and his wife Elizabeth means oath of God. They were living examples of people who were supposed to believe God heard and answered their prayers and kept his promises, and yet when it came right down to it, they could do all the religious stuff right. They kept all the rules, but when it came right down to it, they didn't know the Lord well enough to believe their way through their most difficult circumstances. Ladies and gentlemen, as good a people as they were, as noble and honest, they did not live up to their names. At the end of the day, Zechariah did not believe God had heard him. And Elizabeth did not believe he kept his promises. But he does. And here's the point I want to make. When, when you can't live up to your name, God can still live up to his. When you have done your best and it's not good enough, God can make up the difference. 
When your name even says, I believe God, and you don't believe God. When your name believes God always keeps His promises, and in your heart you have an accusation. You didn't do what you showed me you were going to do, and you fail. He can make up the difference. He can send an angel at the right moment, at the right time, and release into your life something that will ransom you from whatever mess you're in, something that will carry you over into the destiny you know in your heart of hearts God has called you to, but you've struggled to get into. Sometimes you just got to quit fighting. I don't mean give up, but you got to just simply rest. You've got to just simply wait on the Lord. They that wait on the Lord, the Bible says, I'll renew their strength. They'll mount up on wings as eagles. They will run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. If you wrap yourself around me, that's what it is to wait. To wait, it looks like a vine that wraps itself around something and climbs. You wrap yourself around the goodness of God. When everything falls apart, you don't have to. When you can't even live up to who your mama told you you were or who your daddy wanted you to be. When you didn't go into the occupation they had for you and you made a mess of your life and maybe you shouldn't have done it, God can make up the difference. Let me, let me tell you an interesting story. I don't think I've ever told this because it's hard to tell. It's hard to explain it. But this, this is one of, my, one, of my, one of my God stories. I'll put that next slide up, Abby. That says Pi Day. Say Pi Day. Pi Day. <laughs> this is so crazy, but I still love it. Pi Day is celebrated on March the 14th. How many of you know what the mathematical symbol Pi is? 3.14, so March 14th. January, February, March 3, 14th, 3.14. There are people that celebrate Pi Day every year on... I don't know if Christmas is not good enough, they go into Pi Day. I don't know how this works. This symbol used in mathematics to represent a constant. The ratio of the circumference of a circle to its diameter, which is approximately, what's that number? 3.14159. That doesn't even, uh, go to that next, next slide. I just quit putting numbers up there. Actually, I cut and paste. I just only cut and paste that much. But pi has been calculated to over 1 trillion digits beyond its decimal point. And they say it will continue infinitely without repetition or pattern. That's, that's, I don't understand. That's just strange. That's, pretty, that's crazy, right? So I, I highlighted 3.14159265.3. Say that with me. 3 3.14159265.3. Okay, in March of 2015, I had this chest congestion and um, actually pretty, pretty depleted of strength. And my wife 
Donna said, you need to, you just need to go on to the, go to the doctor. So I thought, okay, I'll go to the doctor. But before that, let me tell you this. In December of 2003, I felt that same way. It's why it sort of reminded me of it. I, you know, I get, when I get sick, I just, I just sort of feel washed out. And, but the Lord, so I have this dream. And then this dream, the Lord gave me a piece of pie because I was depleted. How weird is that? He said, here's, eat this piece of pie. You're, you're depleted. It'll, it'll help you. So I, I ate this. I hate this piece of pie. And then I thought of the mathematical symbol because I felt like um, it was it was something beyond strawberry pie. It, it had more to do with a spiritual, um, a receiving of something much greater than myself that could could help me. I mean, that was the whole the whole idea of it. So I didn't. Really hadn't thought much more about it. And then in 2015, in March, it happened to be March 14th. I didn't even know it was March the 14th. I just knew it was a Saturday morning, and my wife told me to go to the doctor, and I'm obedient, so I went to the doctor. So I'm sitting at the doctor's office, actually the CVS pharmacy, and I'm bored. And when you're bored, what do you do? Man, you got to go to the phone. And so I'm sitting there, just me and some lady I have yet to meet even now. I was just sitting there, and she was sniffling, and I was thinking, oh, this is, a, I hate being here. And uh, so I opened up, uh, I was looking on my phone, and I noticed this article on Pi Day. And I thought, Pi Day? What in the world? But the article said, Pi Day, circle your calendar. Once in a century day coming this weekend. I thought, hmm. So I read this article. Here's what it said. Circle around math fans. There's a once in a century pie day coming this weekend. I thought, wow, that's sort of interesting. The day that celebrates the mathematical constant pie is Saturday. And because it's 2015, this particular sequence of numbers in the calendar that matches pie, which would be three... 14, 15, won't come around for another 100 years. So there's this one particular moment in time that happens once every 100 years. On Pi Day. Then it went on to say this. While the mathematical constant, which represents the ratio of circumference of a circle divided by its diameter is often abbreviated as 3.14 for convenience, pi actually has an infinite number of digits beyond the decimal point, starting with 3.14159263. So expect a good deal of celebration at 9.26 a.m. at 53 seconds. You see that? Three fourteen, one five, nine twenty six a.m. at fifty three seconds. In fact, there will be a point between nine twenty six a.m. fifty three seconds and fifty four seconds that the clock matches the number of pi down to an infinite number of digits. Who would have known? I certainly didn't. I'm just 
trying to get some antibiotics. And as befitting its reputation as an elite institution of math, science, and engineering, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology has announced that it will send out its acceptance letters. Say acceptance letters. Acceptance letters for this year's incoming class on Pi Day. Precisely at 9.26 a.m. That should round out the day, at least for those they accepted. So I'm sitting in this chair and I'm reading this article. And I'm going, wow, that's amazing. wonder when that day actually is. So I look on my phone. I said, good night, that's today. This is March the 14th. And what time does that special second have that only happens once every hundred years? Oh, my goodness. In 60 seconds. So I'm thinking, this, this, is, this is so bizarre. This is crazy. You mean something that happens only once every hundred years that I have no knowledge of, that at this point means nothing to me, the Lord can manipulate my life to the place where he can sit me down and three minutes before it actually happens, get me to read this article and then suddenly discover I'm actually going to experience with full knowledge and revelation that very second in all <laughs> in a hundred years. I'm thinking, gosh, even an idiot could serve the Lord if this would happen for him. Where you just wind up being at the right place at the right time. So here's what I'm trying to say. Pi speaks of the faithfulness of God in my life and acceptance. As I sat there, MIT sent these prophetic acceptance letters. Well, I wasn't applying to MIT, but I was hearing on a higher level what God was saying. This speaks of your acceptance. This speaks of my timing in your life. You worry, and the Lord has said this to me, Robin, you worry so much about not being at the right place at the right time, not knowing the right people, not knowing how to get where you need to go, not knowing how to fulfill your destiny. He was saying, don't you see if something was only going to happen one second in your entire life and you were dumb as a post about how to get there or when it was or where to go, I could still get you there? Pi speaks of those things that are eternal. That number just goes, goes. It speaks of the inexhaustible resources of God. He has a never-ending supply for any depletion, just like Pi has an inexhaustible number of digits already measured to 13 trillion decimal places. Here's what it also speaks of. It speaks of how mysterious God is. I wouldn't be near as interested in the Lord if I could figure him out. He keeps you guessing. You see, that's what theologians do. Theologians want to attack indisputable 
theology onto every aspect of God. And at the end of the day, you trust your theology and you don't trust the God that theology represents. And that's the highest priority as being a believer is you trust God. You don't get saved because you hear the gospel. You trust God. You don't get saved because you go to church. You trust God. You put your faith in an invisible person who makes promises. You trust God. When your life falls apart, you trust God. When you do the wrong thing for the wrong reasons and don't believe God will get you out, he will get you out if you trust in Jesus. How many of you need to trust God? If you need to trust God, why don't you stand up and we'll pray and ask God to help us. How about that? Everybody okay? Did that make any sense? I know that's sort of a strange episode, but... uh... Oh, Jesus. Lord, here's an honest prayer. I would like to know you better without going through any more difficult things. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Like Ray Hughes said, Lord, every time he got in a mess, people say, well, Ray, look what you learned. He said, Lord, I know enough stuff right now. But Lord, we want to know you. We, we, even, even, maybe not quite equal that, we want to have the capacity to um, manifest you and release your knowledge to other people so they can know you. Lord, I know this too. Trust is earned, not given. Lord, help us to where we can see that you have earned our trust and that we can fully rely on you. We can put all our eggs in your basket. Lord, that we can stand the test of time, and we can stand the test of discouragement, and we can stand the test of failure, and we can stand the test of success, and we can stand the test of prosperity. Lord, all of those different things, release to this congregation faith, hope, and trust in you on a new level. I just pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen and amen.